passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Oh boy, welcome in to the final day after podcast of the 2023 football season. We are, of course, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Ashley, as always, that is Buck Sanders, and that is Jason Staples. Jason getting creeped up on by not a Christmas movie, Die Hard. Buck, I'll come to you first. I think we need to set some ground rules on this podcast today, because there's a lot to talk about, and there's a lot not to talk about. Um, So I'm going to let you set the table as we follow the boss man into the abyss here on the day after. Well, uh, this is not uh, this podcast is not about uh, the season, the entire season. Although uh, some things about the past season won't be able, we won't be able to avoid talking about. But um, and as probably anticipated by most of the people that are uh, tuning in, we expect there to be some changes in the off season. But we're not expecting a change from Mac Brown. And uh, that might be 
the big downer of the whole show, but it is what it is, and whether you're pro or against, uh, that's really not a subject that's on the table for us here today. Um, we're going to be talking about this game, what it means, and this is a unique game. I mean, we will never see this UNC team again, and we have never saw them before last night uh, with Connor Harrell at quarterback, um, other people not participating, said Gray not there. And in the spring, we're going to see a completely different UNC team as well. So uh, I wouldn't count on have, getting too much knowledge from what we saw last night, uh, although I think there are some things we can take away from it. But it, it, we're not going to satisfy everybody's uh, desire for their uh, pitchfork and torches this morning. We're just going to talk about this game and what we feel like we learned from it, if anything. I agree with that. Jason, get you in here. Let's let's talk about specifically the game to start with. Um, I thought, well, I'll let you just go because I have some thoughts and adhering to not going to be – I'm not going to stand up here and rip everybody unmercifully yet. Y'all might get me worked up and I start doing it. But, Jason, this North Carolina yet, game – Yet being the operative word, Tommy. <laughs> yes, yet. It takes me a while to get ramped up. I'm on like day 30 of fighting this head cold, and I'm sick of it. So, But once the juices get flowing, who knows what will come out, literally. Jason, I saw a game that looks very familiar to, quite frankly, the past several years, but definitely very familiar to the last half of 2023 last night. The last half of each season for the last few years, basically. Um, yeah, uh, and – First, I, I, I do want to say something up front that Connor Harrell looked pretty good for the most part. Uh, there were there were some promising signs from him. Uh, I did say you remember I, I did mention in the in the uh, game plan that the real concern there was was going to be turnovers, uh, and there were a couple really big ones, and that's something that he's going to have to. He's going to have to figure out. He's going to have to address. Uh, is he played really? I mean, you look at the numbers: eighteen to twenty-seven, sixty. So sixty-seven percent completion percentage. That's not bad. Uh, and then eleven point one yards per completion. I'm got to find the uh, per attempt here. Uh, but you know, those are those are pretty solid numbers. Uh, you know, this. Uh, and and I thought he looked good as a runner. I mean, you you look at the dimension that he brought to the table as a as a dynamic runner. Uh, really pleased with what you got there. I think, and and you feel like with Max Johnson and him, uh, you've got the quarterback position in in decent shape going into next year. Now he does need to you know wear some ASO ankle braces or tape his ankles or something. Uh, you just take too much contact at this level, not to have your have your ankles, uh, in, in, you know, protected a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know why he, he likes to go full, uh, full unprotected there, but we saw, you know, him impacted later in the game after he kind of jammed that ankle on that one run. But I, I thought he played pretty well. I thought 
almost everything else was not so good. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I figure I, it, it pro I probably had to start, other than the, the comment about Harold, start with this. I'm going to go back to North Carolina still is not a line of scrimmage program. And what they've got to figure out in this offseason is what they need to do to become more of a line of scrimmage program. Because this is yet another example of a game against a, a team. And actually, there, there's some commonalities too as well as uh, with uh, West Virginia runs an odd front defense. They, they play a lot of three-man stuff. It's similar actually in a lot of ways. The, the structure is similar to what Tony Gibson runs at, at NC State. Carolina has had a lot of trouble against three-man, three-three-stack type defenses the past three years, four years. They've really struggled anytime they've faced that kind of that kind of defensive line uh, or that, that kind of defensive structure, and they've struggled every time they've played it, a, a, a quality or even competent defensive line the last few years. And they've struggled when they've played teams that have good offensive lines because their defensive line gets pushed around. So... The, the real problem, the thing that needs to be solved. You know, Mac talks about what do you need to do to get over the hump? Well, you know, I'd love to be his advisor right now because I, I think there's one real clear thing that you got to do to get over the hump. And, you know, I think initially Mac felt like when he got to Carolina, the thing was recruit better players on the defensive line in particular, and that's it. But it's not just a recruiting thing. It's a mentality thing on the line of scrimmage. If you're going to get over the hump, you have to get better players on the line of scrimmage, yes. But you've got to change the mentality of the program, particularly on the line of scrimmage, or that hump's never going to be gotten over. I agree with that. And I was saying during the game, this is not a talent thing. This is a we, – we talk about culture. We talk about intensity. We, I mean, West Virginia – but I'm going to go here. We, we talked about Connor Harrell, and I thought, thought he looked good until he hurt his ankle. And then it's kind of like a gazelle on the Sahara. Savannah. Savannah, Sahara, African Plains, wherever. Once you have a bad leg and you have all these guys chasing you, and it goes to my point, the offensive line, Buck, was atrocious yesterday. With a month to prepare – um, for this game, and Jason talks about the odd fronts and all that, but, jeez, I didn't see anybody blocking anybody, Buck, and that, for me, was the most concerning thing of the entire game. You got fifth and sixth guys that still can't block. And people say, play the younger guys. Well, are they any better? Playing. Yeah, I mean, so, Buck, just speak to that aspect of it. I thought Connor Harold had a valiant effort playing behind a line that showed nothing, period, that I saw. Well, and I'm not indicting I've, I've, the players got, themselves. but I've got uh, about three comments about all of that. Uh, <laughs> one is uh, the toughness part of it and uh, the culture part of it. That They brought in an offensive line coach that's probably one of the, the toughest in the nation. I mean, it, it's maybe where he picked those, got those players at, where he found them 
into the stage of their career. They, they were all basically seniors or graduate seniors. Made a difference. But uh, Randy Clements, I mean, a part of what he feels like is his duty as a offensive line coach is to instill toughness into his players. It's not just all technique and um, if the defender does this, you do that. You zig when they zag, whatever. It's not all that. It's he part of his coaching goals are to make people tougher. So I don't think it's a coaching issue unless it was just he's trying to overcome some poor habits these players developed under former coaches. Maybe that had something to do with it. The the second thing is once North Carolina fell behind in a big way, that's when the sacks ratcheted up, which is not uncommon. That's a fairly predictable phenomenon. If you're far enough behind that you virtually have to toss it up every single time uh, you snap the ball, then the defense, they don't have to think about what they're going to do next. They already know at the snap of the ball where they're going. Um, and that the stats bear that out. I mean, you could see it on the field, but uh, there were – Seven sacks overall, five of them came in the second half, two in the first half. So it, those sacks began to accumulate and it became more difficult to block those guys the more they fell behind. Because um, you knew what, what Connor Harrell was going to do. Plus, at that stage of the game, he wasn't very mobile either. Uh, so you take away some of his mobility. You know he's got to throw the ball. That's a recipe for disaster. Um, and I'm not trying to defend the offensive line. I'm just saying that there are um, factors in play that you just can't describe based on, uh, you just can't explain based on the, the schemes or the players or any of that. There are other elements at work there. Um, so, that's how I would explain it. And North Carolina actually uh, rushed the ball pretty well in this game, but uh, that's a different topic. So Let, let's talk about yeah. Let, let's talk about the game plan, Jason. Um, specifically on offense, I, I thought it was a little. Uh, I thought it was a little weird, a little bit. Um, the Wildcat reared its head, or, or whatever direct snap to Hampton. Not sure I like that. Lampkin struggled a couple with the snaps, uh, which is understandable. But what got me is the announcers kept saying his first game is center. He played center at Coastal, so he wasn't like brought in a guy that never played position. But just sort of speak to what you saw as far as Lindsey's approach in, in this game, Jason. I, I I didn't like it, but you're better at it than I am. Go. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was indifferent toward it. Um I think the the general approach was that he felt he needed to to add some window dressing here and there to be able to run the football a little better. I think there was I think they knew that they probably weren't going to be able to to block this front as well as what they'd like and they were trying in certain cases to give give uh to to give different looks and uh just find ways to, to manufacture some yards here and there. Uh, 
but I agree the the direct snap stuff I think was ill conceived partly because you know I think Lampkin is is not as good a snapper as as what Gainer had and I think we did see in this game how valuable Gainer has been to the offense the last two years if nothing else I mean we already knew how valuable Drake May had been right but this game I thought showed how valuable Corey Gainer had been that this was this was a, a real indication of that uh so you already know though that that the guy that's snapping isn't quite as good a snapper not quite as reliable it's harder for for backs to catch the snap than quarterbacks who you know do it 150 200 300 500 times a day uh so that makes it trickier for that so I, I'm not really excited about that. And then the other thing is, if you've got a quarterback who's as as dynamic and as fast as uh, as Harrell is, I think you want him involved in the exchange, just for the for the window dressing more on the other end anyway. So I, I think the direct snap does you less good there. Uh, but I I mean they only did it what four or five times, so I'm not really I don't I don't think that's a a, a deal on on the, on the game. I think the rest of it, the rest of the game plan was fine. I mean, I don't think it was a problem. I don't think it was anything special. I think it was really the the issue is that no game plan is going to look really good when you're when you can't block on the interior of the offensive line. When when your center and both guards are struggling. Well, I mean, what what game plan do you have ready for that? <laughs> I mean, they they got they gave up a lot of interior pressure. And, you know, they were not able to get some of the running lanes for Omarion Hampton that he'd had most of the season. So that changes a lot of your outlook. And I, I thought their uh, use of Harold's legs until he got dinged up was the right approach. And it gave them a lot to offer a lot. A, you know, they were able to move the football. I mean, you look at the numbers, and the numbers are okay. You know, five point two yards of play is not great, but you know it's not it's not terrible. You know, you look at the uh, in the first half they were at five point eight yards per play. Second half, uh, just a little bit, a little bit under that. So, you know, I I don't have major problems with the with the with the scheme or with the approach offensively. I do think that that Harold's injury. Uh, or his, you know, getting dinged up in terms of his of his ankle impacted them, and I think some of his limitations as a thrower impact them in in that context because uh, he's still getting comfortable and still you could see a lot of the difference between him and say Drake May, which as we talked about, it's unfair to make that comparison for just about anybody. But there were a lot of places where he put the ball in the in the frame, sort of of his receiver within the catch radius. I'll say but receivers having to go up and catch the ball or reach and catch the ball or stop and slow down and catch, you know, there's a lot of missing within the strike zone that reduces your yards after the catch. You know, it's just that sort of thing where that's where the limitations are as much as anything for him right now is just missing by a little bit. I mean, even the interception in the end zone is one of those where, if you put that ball right on target, it's a touchdown. But that's a really tight window throw, and those tight window throws, right now, he's not quite there. He's, you know, he's developing. He's still getting better, but 
that's where the limitations are. And so if you've got a guy who's not real comfortable with those tight window throws, who then gets his ankle dinged up, and you're having trouble blocking on the interior, it's it's going to be a long night. You're going to have trouble to find trouble finding uh, uh, finding solutions schematically, especially when you add three turnovers into that too. Uh, it just you know you're not going to score a bunch of points in that context. So again, it comes back to the 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 primary schematic difference is block better up front. A lot of scrimmage game, it comes to it, to Garrett Chapman in the chats. You know, it dominated time of possession. West Virginia had the two big plays, and Carolina got nothing in the red zone. Uh, the interception was a big one. You, you, you'd like to think if that's a Nesbitt or something, that's a touchdown. Um, it was interesting that they talked all week about, or all month, about not having any tight ends, and then they used uh, – Young Deems may a lot in this game, and I didn't think that would happen, but um, it was an interesting approach. Buck, as far as the offensive side, let's stay here a little bit longer. Time um, of possession I thought, doesn't matter. Well, just going to say, never pay attention to time of possession. It doesn't matter. I know, but I just put the chat up there. I I'm know, giving I'm a, just saying. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter, matter, especially when you score on the first play of the game and you have a punt return, and Buck – um, but staying, I do want to go to special teams, but staying on the offense, I thought the wide receivers showed some things. I thought Gavin Blackwell, J.J. Jones, a lot of people said they need a wide receiver in the portal. I don't, I don't necessarily think so. Uh, Nate McCullough made some good catches and got back in it. Just give me some positives from the offense uh, that, that can carry forward going into next season because, quite frankly, this was an exhibition for next season. It matters. It matters a lot. Um, for the players that were playing in the game. But as far as the, the program itself, what do you see that translates maybe into the spring and on into 2024? Well, I saw uh, Nate McCollum not drop a ball at all. Uh, he five, targeted five times. He caught five balls. And uh, on that one uh, longer catch of his, he had to adjust to the ball in the air in order to come down with it, sort of what Jason was talking about. Funny how uh, Drake May could hit him right in his hands and he could drop it, but he could make an error back and catch in the air uh, to pull down a ball that was, you know, two, three yards off the target. So anyway. Well, it makes a big difference being healthy, doesn't it? It does, apparently. Uh, yeah. So Nate was good, and, he, you know, he's a good piece of what they want to do next year. For sure, I, I assume, uh, in the wide receiver room. I thought Hamilton showed some things. Uh, but, again, had Drake May been throwing the ball, I think Hamilton would have made a bigger showing, you know, because I, I think he's the kind of receiver that um, is appreciates the ball within easily within his catch radius more so than not. So, uh, uh, But in any event, the – uh, the offense, I think, did show some nice things. Uh, I, I think one thing we hadn't, we t you did touch on a little bit, is that um, both in uh, receptions and in blocking, they missed the tight end room that they've had for the majority of the season. Uh, no Copenhaver, no Nesbitt, no Morales. That's a big adjustment for the offense, and that you know, came into play on their blocking on the offensive line and uh, in their ability to catch the ball. 
I think I have it correct when uh, the offense went 72 snaps uh, last night. They only had uh, 40 of those snaps. 40 out of the 72 was Deems May in the game. Uh, they went without a tight end at all uh, for those plays. I think someone said, obviously, I well, I didn't notice this during the game, but somebody with better eyes than me noticed that Jonathan Adorner lined up at tight end at times uh, last night. So, uh, or whether you call that a tight end or whether you call that a, you know, a unbalanced offensive line, whatever you want to call it, uh, Adorno was in on probably you know, almost half the snaps maybe as a tight end. So that's one less target so to speak, that uh, uh, Connor Harrell had. There, there was a, that's why I talk about this game in terms of, especially on offense, I think more so than on defense, um, the number of pieces missing from the puzzle, Corey Gaynor, the tight end room, Drake May, Tez Walker, you take those players out of the equation and you're looking at a football team we hadn't seen this entire year. It's a completely different team without those players on the field. And it'll be a completely different teal, uh, team on the field next year, even in the spring game when Max Johnson and Jake Johnson are here and they're doing their thing and what have you. I, yes, it was UNC playing football last night, but it was not the same team that we've seen this entire year, and it's not a team we'll ever see again. That's why this this game doesn't fold easily into a data point as far as the continuity of the team or what's going to happen next. So uh, I think that's part of the problem about talking about the offense in this uh, context. Valid point. I saw Southern Cal look pretty good without Caleb Williams in a couple pieces, um, which goes back to my the coaching aspect of it, of scheming up something. But, Jason, final thought on the offense. Somebody in the chat asked earlier, and I saw somebody on Twitter and maybe on the message boards, there's going to be a quarterback competition in Chapel Hill for the first time legitimately in a long time with Max Johnson coming in and Connor Harrell. Um, just from your tape review of Max Johnson and what you saw from Connor Harrell, um, how big a thing is that going to be this spring? I mean, I think it's going to be legitimate. Um, I'm not going to say that it's a 100% chance that you know who's going to be the starter, but I would be surprised if at the end of it all, Max Johnson isn't taking the first snap of next season. Uh, that said, I do think what you saw from Harrell is a guy that, you know, maybe you have some packages for. You know, he's a guy that, you know, you put him in there in certain goal line situations and, uh, certain, you know, look at what Kansas has done. You know, Kansas at different points has gone two quarterbacks on the field at different points uh, to to allow them some flexibility in in causing headaches for the for the defense. You've got one quarterback who's really mobile, and you can do some really interesting things. I mean, they'll do a handoff to a rollout kind of stuff. Uh, I would be. You know, if I'm Carolina, looking at what I have in in Harrell, I would be even if he's not going to be the guy, I'd be looking at at how I can use him a little bit next year, 
Uh, and the other thing is, you know, Max Johnson behind that offensive line, how many games is he going to play before he gets hurt? Let's be honest. So, you know, you're going to have to have two quarterbacks ready next year, no matter what. And, uh, you know, the, the hope is that the offensive line doesn't look like that next year, but they, they've got to find some players and they've got to figure out how to change the mentality enough to be more competent on the offensive line going into next year. So, uh, and we've said that how many years in a row? We've said that a lot of years in a row, and that's despite Carolina having a more than the normal amount of NFL talent on the offensive line. I mean, how many guys from the last five years are still on NFL rosters, at least practice rosters, but I mean, a number of these guys actually, you know, starting or, or in rotations on NFL rosters. I mean, Josh Azudu, you've got, uh, what, about four guys maybe from the last three years mm-hmm. yep. that, are, that are still in the NFL. If you've got that, and then you've still been as bad on the offensive line <laughs> with the personnel that you've had, if, you, if you've still been that bad for the last four years, uh, you got to figure out what's at root there. And that, to me, like I said, you're going to need two quarterbacks to play no matter what. And, yeah, it's that's that's the thing. Now, I do think uh, Jake Johnson helps a lot, you know, because he, he's a tight end who's a, who, who can mash you and, and, you know, is a big-time blocker and also is a target that's really hard to miss. So I do think that dimension, on top of – of Max, I think the Jake Johnson thing helps a lot in terms of the offense as well. Yeah. Buck, get blindsided there if yeah. you've missed it. Remind your YouTube and watch that. Uh, but I, I think the offensive line issue can be helped by some continuity with coaches. I mean, they've, they've switched multiple times, so maybe they can have some of that there. I think Blasky from Georgia can come in and help there as well. Um, I do find it interesting that the issues have all been with basically the same guys on the field over the last two or three years. Um, So maybe coaching some stuff out of guys or being able to mold younger guys that didn't have the, the other coaching in them perhaps is the thing. The the real thing on the defensive side is they just need, they need coaching. We're going to the defensive side after the break. And this is where we get loose. It's Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com, sponsors of this podcast. Go check yeah. them out. It, it is after Woo. Christmas. It's after Christmas, but they still got stuff. Oh. And they still have gear that you can get with all your Christmas money. Jason did not opt out of that Johnny T-Shirt uh, ad. So go see them on Franklin Street. Order online. They'll get you the gear to your house. There's plenty of time for winter. I think it's supposed to get colder. They've got the sweatshirts, the hoodies, all that kind of stuff. They've got the NIL merchandise. And they probably got a dog collar and some dog leashes and dog tags and things like that that Buck could use at times. But it is a great place to get all your stuff. Johnny T-Shirt, they're great friends, alumni owned and operated. Check them out. And you get 10% off if you're an Inside Carolina premium subscriber. National guys pay the bills. It's the day after. Shout out to 436 currently in the room. Let's get it up to six or 700 by the time we finish around the block. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Okay, guys, uh, let's flip sides of the ball. We've got three three sides of the ball to talk about here, but we're going defense. But I thought the defense showed some things. I thought they Rucker, you know, I tweeted it, and I believe it. If Rucker doesn't get held, he's a menace to deal with. Um, it's tough when you get held. They called some holds that uh, I didn't see called all year. But once again, the defense, when they need to get stops, they can't get off the field. Let's talk good, bad, and the ugly. Um, I thought there's some good out there. I thought Caleb Cost. I knew it wouldn't take long for the how in the hell is Caleb Cost hadn't been playing all year comments to come out. But just speak to what you saw from him and, and the positives on the defensive side. Uh, Caleb Cost, uh, you know, he played well overall, but he also delivered one of the biggest hits for, we saw from anybody in the secondary. Uh, maybe Elijah Huzzy had one or two and some of the other guys. But he he just blasted some guy out there uh, last night. And he looks like he's very competent, very physical. Um, you know, I, I don't know that the competition at the star position, which is where I see him, you know, and where he played last night uh, for next year, I don't know that that's decided. I think they have good depth there. Um with uh, Boykin and with Cost, and uh, you know they just the guy they brought in from NC State could also probably play there. He he might more likely be a box safety, but um, you know he could play that position. I think if if they needed him to. So it looks like they're going to have some depth there uh, next year. So that's a good thing. And and Cost is a player. Um, I didn't see as much from Amari Campbell as I expected to see, although he had his moments. Um, and uh, the rest of it, you know, in my column that will come out at some point after this, I uh, was afraid to mention any, <coughs> and I got choked up trying to do it, uh, any positives. Uh, from the defense, but the things that we look at a lot to determine how well a defense is played are things like third down conversions. And you, Tommy, you just spoke to it and said that uh, you know the defense couldn't get off the field. They uh, West Virginia only converted four third down attempts last night out of 13 tries. 
that's really good. You would take that every every single game if you could get um, nine stops out of uh, 13 first down attempts. In the red zone, I thought they played about as well as I've seen them all year. Um, you know, they uh, West Virginia had four trips into the red zone and it came out with one touchdown. Uh, three out of four of their red zone attempts went for field goals. Now, normally a decent defensive performance doesn't start out by giving up a 70-yard play uh, on the first snap of the game. 11 seconds into the game, they've already given up 75 yards. The rest of the game, they gave up 304 yards. And if you think back to the narrative that everybody had of this particular game, is they were worried to death that uh, uh, West Virginia was going to do to North Carolina uh, what Baylor did to North Carolina in 2015. Uh, and they didn't. They didn't run the ball that well against North Carolina. They had a few big runs that uh, artificially inflates their yards per carry average, but Overall, North Carolina got that got people on the ground after the line of scrimmage. Not pretty much very often after only a short game. So uh, now that's kind of in some ways saying like, other than the uh, the shooting, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy to play? Uh, but. To say that this defense just did not play well or, or did not show any improvement, um, I, I think is not looking at all the facts. There are some things there, some players there to build around for next year. And uh, now I, I'm also not telling anybody to back off of any plans they're making for coaching changes uh, on that side of the ball or on any side of the ball, really, for UNC. But um, there were some certain things about uh, the defense that you can take from this game and build on. And you also have to take into consideration how many bad spots they were put into. Uh, through special teams play, they gave up a short field on the special teams, uh, fumble when the ball bounced off a guy's leg, and, uh, they gave up a short field uh, uh, on another occasion when uh, they went for it on fourth down, like from the 20-yard line or something crazy like that uh, late in the game. So uh, the North Carolina defense uh, was put in a lot of tough spots, and I think they acquitted themselves pretty well. And it was it was heartwarming to me to see some guys out there playing hard that uh, actually didn't have to play in this game at all. Uh, so, uh, and now Jason may have a different opinion than mine, but I don't think the defense played um, a 30-point game last night. I thought they played much better than that, and it's a shame they didn't get rewarded for it in a lot of ways. I agree with you. The sudden change defense was, was they played well. Uh, they were put in some bad positions. I think there's plenty of talent on this defense. Jason, get in here on the defensive side. You mentioned something before the break. Um, here we are, North Carolina's <laughs> defense. Well, 
it was not as bad a defensive performance as some of the ones that we've seen. I'll I'll just I'll go with that. There 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 were there was some improvement shown in certain areas. That was that was good. But I still, you know, I, I still look at the at the result here and you know, you say, well, you know, you give up a 75-yarder on the first play. You know, let's just bracket that one and look at the re- you can't bracket that one. The big plays really matter. And there were too many of those. You know, I'm looking at the game on paper thing right now. And, you know, there the overall success rate, you know, you look at the EPA per rush, EPA, you know, expected points added per, you know, your success rate given up was actually pretty good on a down by down basis. 41% success rate given up is, is, is not bad. That's, you know, below 50th percentile from an offense. That's a good offense from an offense that, that runs the football well and, and does things well in the success rate aspect. The problem is <laughs> you give up a, an 11% explosive play rate. So more than one out of every 10 play that West Virginia had in this game was a big play. So that's still a problem. And we saw that on the first play. We saw that in several key spots where, you know, it just, you've got, you've got to get better in those areas. But I did think that, that uh, there were some encouraging signs. I mean, I thought Amari Campbell was fine. Um, I thought he was good enough in this game that, it had me going, you know, they, he should have played more snaps during the season. That was my, one of my responses to that. One of my other responses to, to this game was Caleb Cost probably should have gotten more snaps during the season. I mean, what did, what did what he you, hurt during part of the season, if I remember he, that right? Yeah, I think, I think he was. He I think he's dinged early. Point. Yeah, but you still go, okay, well, you know, once he's healthier – Give him a little bit of a look because he does bring a physical component, a physical presence to your defense that you need. Uh, There were some good signs with some of the guys that are going to be playing next year. But it still strikes me as a defense that the the parts still look like more than than what you're getting in terms of the sum. I agree with that. I agree with that. But uh, the – I think we saw something a little different – last night than we have seen, like even on the very first play where they gave up that 75 yards, that was a perfectly designed Jason Staples call. Show mm-hmm. them the, show them the, uh, the safeties and the corners back and then bring somebody down heel real quickly, uh, to try to help to get to the quarterback and they burn them on it. They burn them on it. They, they, uh, rotated the safety down into the box and uh, got the got the safeties in the corners crossed up in the middle of the field, and that was seven. Uh, yeah, although the the thing is, the safety is not supposed to come downhill there on that call. So that that's that's one where the safety just bit on the yeah the safeties he's got deeper than the deepest is his responsibility, and they went hard play action, and he came up hard. You know, stick is a is a is an aggressive guy, and his job on that play is he does not have a run fit. His job is to is to be deeper than the deepest and play deep middle. And they ran two cross country routes that 
you've got inside leverage or you got outside leverage corners expecting inside help from the deep safety and he's nowhere in the middle of the field. So you got nothing. Um, you know, that was actually a, just a cover three call. <laughs> so, you know, you got to have your deep safety and cover three or you're screwed. Uh, but I did see, you know, a couple other calls that were absolutely the kind of thing I'd make, you know, Caleb cost you know, as, as well as he played, when you rush the quarterback from the nickel spot, you have to make sure that you are rushing outside in. You have to make sure that you are hand that you're rushing through the upfield shoulder. You cannot come shallow. If you come shallow, he can just give you a little bit of a crossover dribble step, and all of a sudden he breaks contain, and and it's a big difference. That was that could have been a safety on that field blitz call. It's a good call on that in that situation. You call the field reduction, field blitz, all of a sudden you got your safety versus a, what, 25-yard run plus a 15-yard penalty. That's a 40-yard that's a play, 40-yard difference in just a matter of which angle you take. Uh, and that's the thing that, you know, I keep looking at in terms of eye discipline. And I know some of these folks, you know, drink, uh, you know, you hear me say, talk about eye discipline, but the safety coming up when he's got cover three, middle of the field responsibility, that's eye discipline. You have a guy coming through the, uh, coming, coming to the wrong shoulder on a, on a field blitz from the nickel position. That's not eye discipline, but that's a discipline thing. And there are just little things like that, that just continue to be an issue for Carolina's defense that need to be addressed and you know that's stuff that that they're gonna have to coach out of these guys yeah i mean everything you said cost he whiffs on that and that's a big play i do like his i do like his uh aggressiveness and i do like that he'll hit he is a baseball player and i expect him to play baseball in the spring we'll see how that all shakes out he's a very good baseball player um you know, we could go on and on about defensive line. We'll get into that in the postmortem podcast. Um, it was more of the same that I saw from everybody, pretty much. Um, I saw Jason's favorite player on skate several times um, with his back turned to the line. Um, but, hey, kind of is what it is until they make some changes there. But let's talk about special teams, though. Special Actually, teams. one last thing on the defensive side. I do think the, the, the speaker in the helmet helped them. Yes, uh, Which I did there, like that. There were there were some times where defensively they were able to get some things. They, they were able to figure some things out, and you could tell that somebody was talking to him in the in, in the headset. Uh, in Power terms Eccles of getting, had a really good game. You know, he, he I guess he was the one with the speaker in his helmet. Yeah, but, he uh, and I think one safety, one or I think I think it's two guys on defense. I, I don't know exactly what they had, but I think there were there were two guys, uh, Power, and then. Uh, and then one of the safeties, or maybe they had two safeties. I don't know what the what the total rule was, but with how they were getting aligned and certain things, I thought you could see a definite difference in terms of some guys being a little bit more aware where they were supposed to be and not being completely out of position uh, after that first play. So I do I do think that's one of those things that does help uh, that does help mitigate inexperience a little bit that does help mitigate maybe some guys who haven't fully taken on every piece of coaching onto the field 
uh, and then they're able to get coached between plays, essentially. I think that helps. Especially without Sad Gray out there to, yep. to sort of get guys lined up. I didn't see a ton of that yesterday with the, the lineup issues where Sad would have to get guys in the right spot. Buck, talk about special teams. I mean, Noah Burnett has been fantastic this year, but everything else has just been – well, I guess Liam Boyd kicking off has been a good, it, for the most part, has been a good thing. But everybody, everything else, good gracious. I, I mean, just so many undisciplined penalties, uh, mistakes, rookie mistakes. Uh, your thoughts there? We haven't really talked about special teams a lot. And I know Larry Porter's the coordinator, um, also the running back coach. Just, just what did you see from that position that we've missed all year that has been a problem, I think? Well, for one thing, I'll put it this way. I'm not sure why everybody that plays North Carolina just doesn't fake the punt or the kick every single time and, uh, you know, go kick it on sides every single time. The ball should really never get in the air if you're the opposing team uh, and you're playing North Carolina. I mean, to to give up a first down, now – uh, West Virginia was in field goal range easily when they uh, did that fake uh, field goal attempt and got the first down. But at the same time, that allowed them to keep the ball longer. The game was pretty much over with at that point anyway. But still, that's that's not what you want to see happen to your special teams, right? Now, the, the ball hitting the guy on the leg – Maybe there's something there in terms of he his spacing wasn't where, what it should have been or something like that, but that was kind of a freakish thing. Uh, what happened on that 78-yard uh, punt return, which shouldn't count against the defense, um, I couldn't tell you. I mean, it I just can, looked and like – I'm going to break that one down. All I can see is he just he started out on the – left and rolled to his right and nobody was there uh, everybody had left the the building uh, at that point he had a free run to the house so uh, what they're doing there I don't know and you know people uh, a lot of people dog cussed Larry Fedora for a lot of different reasons but uh, what he did do was he he put made sure he had good special teams every year uh, by and large. So, you know, that they, they always heard, you know, if there's three phases to the game, if you win two of them, uh, you've got a chance. Well, it seems to me that uh, North Carolina has ceded that phase of the game to their opponent in every single game they've played this year. So unless they win offense and defense, they're not going to win the game. That is a great point. That's exactly what I was thinking when you were talking is like special teams is one area of the game that you can pretty much win easily if you just put forth the the stuff, the coaching, the, the effort into it. And to your point, Buck, they literally gave it away every single game, including that. Uh, Jason, talk a little bit about what your breakdown expects to see. I mean, people are, are – Cussing McGinnis, the punter. I thought the punt, other than it being a little bit of a line drive, it was it punted him down in the corner. You've got him pinned on the sidelines, 
And as soon as he turned right, I was like, that's a touchdown. Just what you yeah. see there. And, and another thing people talked about last night in the game thread, and game threads are an adventure, I'll give them that. But people say, why don't more defensive starters play on special teams? Well, you can't talk about how many snaps defensive starters are playing and then want them on special teams as well. So that goes to that aspect of it. But, Jason, just special teams, just brutal, brutal all year. How many block punts has Carolina given up this year? Well, they gave up like yeah. two or three, three straight games. I think they I think they might be at four or five. Just unacceptable. I'll just say this. If, if you're the guy coaching – the punt team, the overall level of performance on that in that area, because I'm I'm not talking, you know, certain things in terms of the operating speed and all of that of the of your snapper and your punter and all that. You have certain limitations that can be in there. You know, you don't have your punter that that was there. Uh, you know, when he got hurt. You know, those things matter. Yes, but basic level making sure you don't get punts blocked because of giving up, you know, free runners into the punter, making sure the, the, the right guys are picked up and all that. That's stuff that's, that's firing offense stuff. You get four or five punts blocked in a season and give up a, a, a couple punt return touchdowns, that sort of thing. That That's the sort of thing where if you're the head coach, you've got to evaluate that guy's job. And if it's a matter of okay, well, that guy's too good of a position coach or recruiter or whatever to get him to 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 get rid of him as a as a coach, you reassign that position. You reassign the the special teams coordinator role, or you reassign you know. And and again, special teams coordinator isn't necessarily the guy that's coaching that particular unit. You figure out who's I don't and I don't actually know this this question. I think it's it's Porter maybe uh, that's coaching yes. punt that's coaching punts. Uh, but whoever's he's coaching overall, punts, yeah, he's overall special teams. Uh, coach. Yeah, so I mean, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the guy that's coaching Correct. that particular yes. thing. But if he is, he needs to not be. <laughs> it's real simple, and you guys know me. I don't typically go out of you know, go go after a specific coach and say that that job needs to be reassigned all that often. This is one where it's pretty obvious. Like I've coached special teams, multiple seasons of special teams myself, and with what I see, it's like okay, look, you you this has got to be reassigned. And with that, with the punt return touchdown, it's real simple. It's the one of the most basic fundamental things you drill into your players on coverage units. You never, ever, ever get behind the returner. Right, it's the same rule that you that you give your your uh, your pass rushers. You can't you do no good to your team if you're behind the quarterback. Right, that doesn't do you any good. So if you have three guys in the backfield that got great penetration and they're all behind the quarterback, you're screwed. So you coach pass rush to make sure that guys are rushing the passer in the right lane and making sure that they don't just get out of control and behind the quarterback, let him step up right in front of them. The same thing is true on punt return. And you had three guys, basically, that are responsible for... It's just like kickoff return. I mean, more, more people are familiar with kickoff return and lanes and all of that. You have certain responsibilities as a punt return... Or as a, a punt team guy 
One guy's going to be contained. One guy's going to be running the lane on the inside of that. You got another on the lane inside of that. And what you have to do is you have to find the returner, find where the ball's going to go. And you should have somebody where the punter is, you know, after the punt is shouting, right, right. And you, you have some help in terms of that. But the bottom line is you find where the returner is and where he's catching the ball. And you'd never get behind that. The only time you ever get behind that is when you're when you're trying to pin a team deep into the in, in, inside the twenty, and there will be usually two guys that'll be responsible there, one or two guys depending on how you do it, who's going to be responsible if the punter is fair catching. Okay, he's probably distracting. Now I'm going to get behind him. But if he doesn't fair catch, you can't do it. Yep. If it's not a fair catch. Your job is never to get behind him. You are slowing down and you are finding your way. If you're the contained guy, you get no more than, you know, basically where you, he's just in front of you and you just keep your, your outside clean and everybody else has to force to the ball. They didn't do that. You had four guys behind the ball when he cat, when he, uh, right after he caught it. Well, at that point, it's 10 blockers in the returner against seven. You know, because the the punter is not exactly a, you know, he's not exactly what you'd call a, uh, a tackler, right? So, you're gonna win. You're gonna win that battle on the on the punt return every time. That happened. The punt block was inexcusable, right? You get you give up a punt return for a touchdown and a punt block, you're gonna lose that game ninety percent of the time. It is a. Uh... Yeah, it's been that needs to be reassigned. That job needs to be reassigned. Whoever is coaching those units, and and again, if Larry Porter as the special teams coordinator is the one that's actually overseeing the punt team, he needs to be reassigned. Somebody else needs to be doing that team. Maybe he can handle the other special teams or whatever, but whoever's doing that, that's got to change. It is, uh, yeah, and it just seems. So simple to handle the special team side of it. Buck, let's get out of here um, on the dot on an hour. Uh, we will, just for, for viewing purposes and people watching this, and, and shout out to the almost 500 that are here, we will have a postmortem at some point in the near future. Need to let some things shake out. We can talk about it. We'll have Buck and Jason and Greg Barnes and maybe some others on here have a roundtable to talk about the season in whole season as a whole and changes and not changes and anything like that i'm also shot vip show will drop tomorrow um, that's gonna be fire that'll be interesting so check out taylor vipless and jeff Schottmer. and also i'm um, on the basketball side justin jackson and john bowman shooting it straight will drop later today jason before i go to book for final thoughts you got one more last thing on depth somebody said in the special teams discussion why not have you know starters playing well, I'd love to see a guy like Cedric Gray playing on punt return and things like that. When he's playing 100 snaps already on defense, you can't do it. But, Jason, your take there. Well, for one thing, in terms of depth, uh, program depth, overall program depth, the guys that you have on your roster, having quality depth is going to be more important in you know, moving forward than ever because of how long seasons are in the in, in, in the 12 team playoff era. If you want to be a playoff team, if you want to get over the hump like Mac Brown has talked about, then the teams that ha- are going to have a chance 
that late in the year after that many games and all of that are going to be teams that do a phenomenal job with load management. They're going to be a phenomenal. They're going to be teams that do a phenomenal job of developing their youngest and least experienced players to be in position to handle all of that well. And so that means you're going to need to play young guys on special teams. That means you're going to need to play backup linebackers and backup defensive uh, defensive linemen and backup offensive linemen over the course of the season. You have to. Because by the time you get into deep in November and and you you know if you if you make a playoff and you and and look it's way premature to talk about North Carolina getting close to the playoff at this point but you make a playoff and now you're going to have some significant stuff that you're going to have to have to deal with there you're going to have you're going to have to be have to have guys as fresh as possible going into that part of the season so no, you can't focus on on starters. You have to get your backups and your younger guys and all of that ready over the course of the season because it's going to be more important than ever moving forward to be fresh late in the year. Interesting comments in the chat. Uh, as I said, we'll have a post-mortem podcast um, where we'll more freely discuss the future rather than last night's game. But, Buck, close us out of here. Um a lot of valid points, a lot of issues, a lot of things exposed repeatedly during the 2023 season, um, but sort of wrap it up for us, and, and then we'll come back later on down the line and, and let it loose. Just, just a little bit of tidying up before we go. Uh, North Carolina had punts or kicks blocked by Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh, and Syracuse that I can find. Uh, those are the conference teams. I don't know if they – got a kick blocked by somebody else non-conference or not. South Carolina didn't block one, even though they're very good at it. But that uh, being out of the way, again, I, I think uh, it's best to emphasize uh, that this game that we just watched featured a North Carolina team that has not ever played together before as a group and we'll never play together again as a group next year. The spring game will look vastly different than the game we just watched. And, you know, I've heard guys all week talk about this game, and, you know, some people have even described it as, well, it's really more like a uh, a scrimmage, you know, these bowl games these days because of the number of people that opt out uh, for one reason or the other, or the transfer, um, for a variety of reasons. So I, I don't think we can judge bowl games uh, quite as well as we used to could. I think that's probably an accurate way of putting it. But don't get me wrong. I'd much rather be sitting here this morning talking about a North Carolina win than a North Carolina loss, uh, regardless of what kind of uh, game you can – call it um so I, I think that's one of the takeaways from this and i expect um there to be a rolling series of news which obviously we're going to cover at inside carolina extensively about coaching goings and comings and uh, also transfer portal news and that sort of thing um and 
I totally understand why people are, and as we are, uh, not exactly thrilled with the way this season went or any of the last three seasons went. I think there, there's something crazy like 2-12 and 12 down the stretch for the last three years, something like that. I mean, it's just ridiculous the number of games North Carolina has lost down the stretch, something we'll talk about in the postmortem more extensively. But that's a disheartening thing. And uh, trust me, everybody that is an observer or a participant in UNC football is uh, as upset about that as you are. So uh, I'll just end with that. Yeah, if it's an interesting discussion to be had in the days coming ahead, like Buck says, inside Carolina be on top of every every change. Uh, this transfer portal is still around, uh, in and out. Coaching changes usually occur in January if you followed this for a long time. Matt Brown talks about he doesn't know what to do to get over the hump. That's a troubling statement if you're a North Carolina football fan, given how that hump has turned into a mountain. Over the last three years, North Carolina finishes eight and five, loses to West Virginia in the Mayo Bowl. Um, a lot of people in the chat. I want to give a shout out to Michelle, John Siegley, Joey, Buck, of course, Jason, Taylor Viplis, Ben Sherman, everybody at Inside Carolina that's helped on the football side of things. It's been a a labor of love. And Jason Staples, go check out Jason on Amazon. I'll give you a shout out. You're gonna send me a hundred dollar check for this advertisement. <laughs> Jason's got a book. And, uh, you know, it's a real-world book. I, I need to read it to get educated. Uh, but anyway, shout-out to Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity. Congruity is the place where all of you need to go for your small businesses. You go to congruityhr.com slash Tar Heels. You get a free assessment. They'll push your small to mid-sized business over the top. They'll get you over that hump uh, that Matt Brown can't seem to figure out. Congruity's got it in spades if you check them out. Customer service, technology, they grow your business, they take care of your people, they do all that stuff. It is a great way to start 2024 out with Matt and Darren and those guys at Congruity. Anything left, gentlemen? We are done. This is the last day after of 2023. Um, we start strong and we kind of peter out with these at the end. Um, we will figure out how to get over the hump, but Buck... I love you, man. It's been fun, Jason. It's always been great. Can't wait to the round table where it gets interesting as we go along. Yeah, maybe Any maybe we could bring up the uh you know, how people did on their predictions this year. I'm <laughs> uh, why would why would you want to go to that there, Buck? I, I'm just I'm wondering how that all worked out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. If it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a receipt. If it happened 120 days ago, you can't take it back. And uh, we don't Buck have. Buck doesn't want to take it back, from what I understand. So. Well, I, I've, I've, uh, my, my predictions are about as good as the last end of the last three seasons. So. At least you didn't go 12 and 0. Yeah, that's next year. Okay. <laughs> oh, come on now. All right, guys, it'll be fun to cover it. Check, Stay tuned to Inside Carolina. Stay tuned to all the podcasts and everything coming up. Stay tuned to the, the website, the message boards, and all that. One thing about it, it's better to care and be fired up than not care at all. North Carolina fans, especially on Inside Carolina, certainly have all that covered as well. I got to get my background for the next one up here. Buck, Jason, uh, we, shall, uh, we shall resume soon. Thanks to everybody. All right.
See y'all. Thanks. Thanks, Tommy. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.